Welcome to the CEO Podcast. I'm your host, Britt Wright, and this podcast is for creative entrepreneurs on fire. Over our first 12-week season, we will introduce you to the foundational fundamentals for being a successful business owner while inspiring you with the amazing interviews with fellow CEOs and creative masterminds. Our focus covers a lot of ground, just like you. As creative entrepreneurs, we have to do it all. So this podcast will help you to understand the business basics, mindset shifts, strategic planning, with just a little sprinkle of the good vibe woo tribe for good measure. Here, we will prep you to become the mastermind and the boss with real life takeaways for you to apply to your growing empire. I can't wait to share the goods with you. Thank you for listening. Now let's begin. This episode is brought to you by Puppy Gang Fresh Foods. This is Artie's favorite time of day. We have been using Puppy Gang Fresh Foods for about a year now, and it's fantastic. Artie looks so forward to mealtimes. He used to be such a picky eater. We changed over when he was diagnosed with some joint issues, and it has been such a game changer for his health and wellness. It is made with human-grade meat. It's freshly cooked. It's delivered right to your door. It's in little convenient packs. It was developed by Holistic Nutrition. They're super sustainable. I can't say enough good things. If you use the code Artie, you get 50% off your first eight packs. I really encourage you to do this if you got a picky eater or someone with health issues in your family, one of your fur babies, try them out. That's Artie, A-R-T-I-E, for 50% off your first eight packs. Today on the podcast, I have Kelly Dalton. She is one of my besties. I feel like I've said that about everyone I've had on the podcast, but... <laughs> so I shouldn't be honored. I just have so... be honored. You throw that, you throw that, that word out loosely. <laughs> <laughs> but truly, truly one of my best friends. Um, I wanted to have you on just because I think overall you're probably one of the most amazing, resilient people I know. And you have a very cool story with your career. And I think a lot of people will be really inspired to hear about how you got there and what you do now and the challenges you face in a career that I don't think a lot of people have much exposure to. So do you want to introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about what you do now? And then we can kind of get into the backstory after. Yeah, no problem. Um, so currently work at, at Netflix uh, in the United States in LA. Um, so in Hollywood on the film team. And I also uh, cross over talent relations and awards. So specifically, uh, my job is to help look after the talent within the Netflix family, and also um, manage the awards campaigns on the film side. So what that means is that my whole sort of job is focused and targeted on winning Academy Awards. Um, And it's very similar. The best way to kind of compare it is to a political campaign in which you travel the world to meet as many voters as possible, shaking hands, kissing babies, marketing, publicity, um, advertising, all of that special events. So we do um, we do all of that on the on the film award side. And the sort of film season begins with the fall uh, festivals like Venice, Telluride, Toronto, New York and London and many others, and then sort of wraps uh, around the Oscars, which was just last week. So we're fresh off of uh, an Oscar season. That's awesome. And were you on the one that won the, blah, 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 the one that, my, what, oh my God, it's been a long day. 
What was the one called that won the most Oscars? Let me just do that instead. This, this year it was Everything Everywhere All at Once, uh, which was an A24 film, so not a Netflix film. Uh, but Netflix had six wins across the titles that we had. So our most winning film actually in Netflix history was this year with All Quiet on the Western Front, which was a German language um, film adaptation. Um, and then we also had Pinocchio, which is Guillermo del Toro's version of uh, the classic story of Pinocchio. And then uh, we had a documentary short called The Elephant Whisperer. So we had six wins across the board. So pretty, pretty good year for us overall. But Everything Everywhere, uh, which is A24, did, did sweep most of, most of the show this year. And have you seen that? I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, yeah. I'm it's sure different. you have. It's really, it's, it's really different. <laughs> Um, it's really different, but the nice thing is that there were three actors from that film, which were recognized as well as the writer and director and they got pictures. So, and editing. So it's, it's kind of insane that they won all of the major, um, major categories. Very cool. So that's a really insanely cool job. I think a lot of, I mean, I have known you for so long and know what you do. So to me, like the, the wow factor, like I'm like, okay, obviously she has a crazy cool job. So that has kind of, um, you know, but for everyone else that's listening, I think they're probably like, that's wild. Can you tell us the story of how you got to where you are today in terms of when you first kind of realized that you wanted to get into more of the film industry? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, and I've been here for almost like 10 years now, which is kind of crazy. So I've been at Netflix for five years and then I worked at a small agency, um, for the five years ahead of that. And that was sort of where, uh, and how I met, I met my boss and got into the industry. So uh, about 13 years ago, I had Lyme disease and at that time, um, really wasn't able to sort of participate in life in the way that I, I had been, Um, most of my life. So it was a lot, a lot less energy, a lot more fatigue. Um, And what I sort of did to get through those six years of, of not feeling well, and not really being able to, to participate in, in normal life, if you will, with all of my friends, I went to the theaters all the time. So I had a, a scene card with Cineplex and went two or three times a week. And it was sort of in that experience where I realized how much people live through film and how much you can get through film. So when I was sort of on the sidelines of life and not able to live, I really lived through the films that I was seeing. I laughed, I cried, there was romance, you know, anything that I sort of needed that I was feeling a little bit uh, starved of because I wasn't able to live my life. I, I really got in cinema. So my appreciation and my love for it deepened. It's always been something that I was passionate about, um, ever since I was little, you know, my mom always hosted Oscar parties. So there was that as well. But I think for me, I just realized the power of, of films and, and the escapism that it provides to people, whether it's for, for mental health or sickness, whatever it is, inspiration. Um, it just has so many powerful elements to it, to the audiences that, that are, you know, immersed in those experiences. And then, Um, once I got better and I got healthier, I really just sort of committed myself to, to trying to find a way in. I think that getting into entertainment is really complicated, especially coming from, from Canada. We're lucky that there's the Toronto film festival. So there's a little bit of a, um, a more of a footprint in terms of the industry, um, in Toronto, but it's, it's a lot more challenging to sort of break into than 
lawyer, doctor, like things that have sort of a clear path in terms of how to how to get there. So I really just started to talk to anyone and everyone that I knew in my sort of world in Toronto that was involved um, in the film business. And through that had, you know, met a couple of really interesting people, taken them out for coffees, written a bunch of notes, um, really started to study the industry and understand it. And then was connected to a friend of mine's mom who worked at Warner Brothers, who um, then helped connect me to a woman um, from LA that was coming for the Toronto Film Festival in 2014 and um, needed some extra help because she was understaffed. So that was uh, Lisa Tabak, who's a renowned sort of awards strategist, who's still my current boss. Um, but I worked for Lisa for uh, four days at the Toronto Film Festival, and then she offered me the job to move to LA. And I've been working for her um, for her ever since. So it was a pretty wild experience and an amazing one personally, just to um, to have someone open the door to the industry in, in that way um, was incredibly unique. I never presented a resume. I never, you know, really presented anything about myself. I just got to show her what I could do, um, which at the end of the day was a gift because I wasn't able to finish school during my Lyme disease journey. So I didn't have the sort of paperwork that one would need to apply for a job. So um, it's it's pretty special how we were connected and how it all sort of worked out. And six months after I met Lisa, I moved to LA. And then um, we've been working together ever since. So five years on the agency side, which was the agency that she owned. And when I started with her, that's what we worked on across all studios in LA. And then uh, the last five years has been um, solely with Netflix. Very cool. Um, I really love the fact that your journey is not traditional because I think for a lot of creative entrepreneurs, our journey is not traditional. I mean, mine's not, you and I both went to the same university. I have my degree in something that I no longer really, I mean, I use a bit of it, but I wouldn't say I work in the field that I have my schooling in and you left school because of your illness and you've now created this insanely successful career for yourself. You're probably one of the most successful people I know. And it is, it's just mind boggling to me. And it really proves that you don't have to have that certificate. It really all boils down to how much grit you have, how much you're willing to work for something, how many steps you're willing to take to meet the right people, put your name out there and really just climb that ladder as hard as you can. And, you know, trust yourself and put in that hard work. Cause I know the first few years you were doing this, it was such a slog and you were barely making any money and you were living away from your family. So it's not all, you know, shiny gold statues. <laughs> the, end goal, the end goal for me every year is the shiny gold statues. But um, I think it, it does come down to like, I love the word that you use grit and passion. And I have genuine passion for what I do. And I, I truly as hard as it is, and as long as the you know, the hours that I work are, I feel very blessed to love what I do, because I care. And I'm passionate about it. And I think in life, one of the hardest questions to be asked is what do you want to do with your life? Um, and I feel really lucky that my experience, although challenging at many different times with Lyme disease, led me to the path of what I wanted to do. And I don't think that I would have found that if I didn't go through those those experiences. So I think, you know, figuring out what you want to do is one of the hardest things in life and, and being able to do what you love um, is one of the biggest gifts in life. But 
definitely it takes a lot of um, a lot of hard work and commitment to to sort of be in this industry, and it is um, all consuming at points. And you know, I get to travel the world in some really wonderful places, but there's a lot of sacrifices that I definitely make personally to be able to continue to um, to work at this work at this level. But you know, the good thing is that I still I still love it, and I am still having a lot of fun and going back to sort of what you said about a non-traditional path, I'm very comfortable speaking about it now. But as you know, um, but just for those listening, it was not something I was comfortable with for a long period of time. And, and to not finish school was not something that I ever saw me doing or not doing, if you will. Like I, It was not a part of my story that I was ever proud of until I sort of got to a place where I had proven to myself that I that I didn't need it. But I, I loved school. I loved the experience. Um, you know, high school, middle school, university, all of it. I loved learning and I loved the social aspect of it. So for me to not be able to do that um, was really challenging at many different points um, in my life until I sort of embraced the path that I was on and, and finally sort of became um, okay with it and, and really accepted it. And I think Ever since I've done that, too, the the growth and the possibilities um, have really expanded for me also. I like that point where you said, you know, having to go through those really difficult times is really what pushed you to be able to achieve the success you have today. And I think that's so such a key element of getting to any type of point in your life where you really do feel like you've kind of gotten to this successful point where you are meeting the goals that you've set for yourself and looking back and going, wow, I got here. And for you going through those difficult times, I know you were, you were very sick and you had to give up on things like school that were really important to you. And you were isolated from friends and it was just a long period of time with no answers to questions and feeling unsure of your place in the world. And please correct me if I'm putting words in your mouth, but for that, I think to find yourself now in a place where you truly can look around and be like, wow, I built this, I did this. That's what I think a lot of business owners strive to get to that place and they strive to have that feeling. And it is, it's similar in the sense that, you know, we put in the hours, we put in hard work, we put in years without payment, we put in, you know, dealing with really difficult things and having to wear all different hats and try all different avenues in order to succeed and finally find the thing that fits. I want to know a little bit more about that mentality when you hit the point, I don't want to call it rock bottom, but when you kind of hit a point where you, you can. weren't, <laughs> you can call it that where you, I, I, yeah, I think it was. Yeah. And I, I hate that. Cause that makes me sad. Cause I love you so much, but like going, to, you know, that point where you go, I have to make a change. I have to pivot. I have to be able to, to go down this path. I want to know a little bit more about that side of the story. Like yeah. right now you, if I, you look at you and you're, you've got all these amazing, you know, credentials now, and you're doing something so cool. And you're, you have probably a lot of people's dream job, but let's hear a little bit more about that point where you literally had to kind of choose, I'm going to dedicate myself to this. That's what I want to know. Yeah. And I, I think it, when you're in a place of sort of like rock bottom, it can be so hard to, to find a way out. But I think that the way that you find a way out is by 
leaning into the beauty of what rock bottom means and what rock bottom meant to me was there was no place I could go lower than how, where I was. So it, it really felt like there was no down. The only option was up, which was also a, a gift and, and a beautiful thing to, to feel that. And I know, um, I had no fear moving to California. And I think that I really mean that when I say that, that I was not afraid because I didn't think that anything could hurt me as much as the world had hurt me and the experiences that I had already gone through. So I think rock bottom or uh, a glass ceiling or however you might want to sort of refer to the things that hold us back from what we dream of doing, I think most of it is fear. Um, the fear of failure, the fear of success, what that might mean, the fear of the commitment and the time uh, that you have to put into something to be successful. And I think I ultimately just made the choice after I was sort of better from being sick. I, I think people who go through different traumas or, or sicknesses, so much of the work you do mentally happens after you go through that experience. And, and I think that's a really important time to to try to really listen to yourself and to pause and process as much of what you'd gone through um, that you're able to and and listen to your sort of heart and mind and, and where it's leading you. And I think for me, there was no fear and I was in a place of rock bottom. And then I just decided to commit to to moving to California. And I also think there's um, there's a lot of power of sort of believing in the universe and putting things out into the universe. And for about a year, I was telling everyone I was going to move to California and be in the film industry. And everyone was like, oh, that's wonderful. How are you going to do that? And I was like, I don't know, but I'm going to figure it out. And and I, I kind of love that part of my story because I love that there wasn't the fear or there wasn't the hesitation to state a dream um, and to put it out there and to want to go for it. But I again, I don't know that I ever would have felt that way if I hadn't sort of gone through the experiences and hadn't had the sort of story that I had had that had led me, um, led me to that place. But I think ultimately, if you can re release your fear and let go of your fear and, and really tap into what, what your heart and your mind are, are searching for and what you want, and you just commit everything you have to going for it, you can achieve a lot of, a lot of incredible success. Yeah, I would agree with that a hundred percent. I think too, when you have nothing to lose, like you said, you have everything to gain because where else are you going to go? Mm -hmm. So I love that. And obviously it worked out well for you. You are, you manifested quite a life for yourself. <laughs> so tell me a little bit more about the creative side of your job. So you've got, obviously you've got to deal with a lot of creatives. So other people that are doing creative work, how do you handle the ins and outs of that and, and like having to navigate all of those different personalities. Like for me, that takes a lot of creativity to be able to deal with all of those moving parts. And, um, I don't know if this is a good question, but if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And I think, um, I think someone recently said like, what makes you good at your job? Um, and it was such an interesting question because I never had said I was good at my job. So I, it was sort of caught me off guard, but they assumed I was good at my job and then wanted me to sort of explain why. And it was, a, it was sort of, I sort of like was taken aback by it and wasn't sure exactly how to answer. And then I said, I think I'm good at my job because of the passion, which I've sort of talked about, but also um, the love of taking care of people. And so much of my job is, is nurturing and 
creating experiences and taking care of talent and filmmakers that are in our community and looking after them throughout the time of their their film campaign with us and their awards campaign with us. And I think a lot of that is is the gift of being able to multitask at an incredibly high level with a lot of emotional intelligence and being able to sort of prioritize the various filmmakers and creatives that I work with. And also to try to think like 10 steps ahead of every situation and scenario and, and try to think of what could possibly be needed or go wrong in a film festival environment in um you know, just a, a trip where we're doing screenings, Q&As and a lot of press or junkets and things like that. So a huge part of my job is is thinking ahead and then per, sort of predicting and understanding people in a way that allows me to to curate an incredible and a memorable experience at Netflix. And I think the sort of main goal for my job is to have talent that want to return to Netflix to either make series time. And, and sometimes that's taking a filmmaker to a festival that's really meaningful to them. Sometimes it's making sure that their wine or their, uh, their champagne that they like is, is, you know, there throughout the journey or putting things in their hotel room or whatever it might be dining at at restaurants that they love um, in between screenings, Q and A. So there's a lot of um, sort of like hospitality in my job for sure. But I think that I'm, I really love trying to understand people and love trying to, figure out what makes them um, happy and, and what will make them have a great experience with us. So I, I kind of thrive off of the understanding of different personalities and these creatives that I'm working with and, and getting to know them and, and getting to figure out how to sort of curate uh, a unique and a memorable experience for them uh, at Netflix. That's really cool. I think that relates so closely with any industry when you're dealing with any type of clientele. So in your industry, your clientele is the talent. And in my industry, my clientele is homeowners. But at the same time, you still have to understand what makes each person tick. And you have to speak to that. You have to cater to that. You have to build your experience that you're creating around that. And Mm -hmm. it does take a lot of, like you said, emotional intelligence to be able to understand, plan, think ahead, do what you need to do to set up those situations. Now, you said you do, obviously you do events. So give us a little bit more of an idea of what that looks like. So what, from A to Z, what are you doing for those events specifically? Yeah, I think there's so many different kinds of events that we do. Um, So there's sort of, you know, festivals and programming, which is a lot of strategy around like, where's the best place to release a film? Um, in the festival space and many of our awards titles do start there. Um, so it's programming the festival down to like picking the theater, the date, the time, planning the party afterwards, what venues sort of will help speak or connect to the film with the different press or the industry that are there to allow for the best reviews for the film, to give it the best sort of platform for the start of the campaign. And then I do um, events all over the world where there's a high concentration of academy members. More specifically, there's a lot of guild members that we target, but mostly it's academy members and the academy. So the Oscars, um, the group is made up of around 9,000 people globally. So part of my job is, is traveling to these various cities and creating screenings with conversations afterwards to allow the audience to do a deeper dive into understanding the film, the performances, um, the crafts all of that. And then followed by a reception where I, it's really my job to sort of 
take the the filmmakers that and talent that I'm working with and introduce them to the members and the voters that are in the room. So a lot of the events that I'm sort of speaking to are specific to um, continuing to connect with voters and have them get to meet the creators and the talent that we're working with and ask them questions to further sort of understand the film and in the hope that they would then vote for, for that film. And then I also have my talent relations team, which executes on all the award show logistics. So for the Academy Awards, which we just had last Sunday, we had 160 tickets on the Netflix team to that show. So it's all um, coordinating, you know, car placards, table seating, theater seating, ticketing, all of it, um, all of the, the sort of from start to finish, how do we execute on an award show of that scale, different event types. Wow. You're so cool. it's just it's it's just that it's um it's different and I think like for us like growing up in Canada you know I loved movies I watched movies but I had no idea that that studios spent you know millions of dollars to to campaign films and and even when I started to work in this industry I didn't even understand like okay does a studio get money when it wins best picture and the answer is no it's all brand investment you know and and brand investment is so important to to these studios because if a if a studio wins picture you know once or even many times it's just the strength of the brand of that studio and then all the talented filmmakers that are top tier want to work with that studio. So it's all about their film library, the people they get to work with, the filmmakers they get to work with, the best directed film of the year one, but there's a lot of other things that sort of factor into those, uh, those people winning. And, and sometimes people do nothing in terms of campaigning and they still win, but it's, it's rare. Like most of the time people are working, working for the awards that they end up winning. That's interesting. I think that relates so deeply to what I, what the previous episode I did was about fear of failure. It talks a lot about what you don't see behind the scenes and what goes into looking as great as you do. So, oh great, I won best picture. Okay, what goes into winning best picture? First you have to make a really, really good movie. Then you Mm -hmm. have to do all the marketing and the campaigning and then you have to actually win. And all of those things, it's not easy and I, I love to draw attention to things that look easy that are not easy because I think there in life there really isn't a whole lot that is as easy as it looks, quote unquote. So I'd love to hear kind of the background of what all of those things are and how they all kind of add up to that final pivotal moment that we all look at and go, wow, that's so great or that's so pretty. And you finally understand the background of it and all of the steps and all of the people and all of the care and all of the work and the money and everything that goes into that final moment is really what makes up so much more of what we're doing day to day. Like that's just, again, like I said it in the previous episode, the cherry on top of a very messy Sunday. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, the the point at which I normally start working on a project, it's a little different since I've gone to Netflix and I'm in, um, in-house at the studio, but the point at which I start working on the, on the project is normally when the film is finished. But the team at Netflix is involved, obviously, in pre-production, production, 
post-production and then we get this finalized film to then work on in the awards campaign. So it's really common that a writer or director will have a project that they carry with them for like 10 to 15 years before it's made. And a lot of the time, you know, audiences and those not in the industry don't ever sort of get that, don't have that understanding of how, how long it takes to sort of put something together and how many people are involved in these films. So it is, although it's, you know, this beautiful moment at the end of the road at the Oscars, you know, a lot of blood, sweat and tears truly like go, go into the making of these films. And many of the people um, that are nominated or that end up being on the stage as a winner had been working for the last eight months, you know, at least two, three nights a week out and campaigning in the various ways we've sort of been talking through. So it's a big commitment from the talent and the filmmakers. And there's no, there's no compensation for them in this process other than the fact that when you are an Academy Award nominee or you are an Academy Award winner, it changes your value and it changes your awareness, your status within the industry. And it really is life-changing, which is why people really commit to, um, to doing this and to, and to committing themselves and making themselves available. It's really common when we work with actors that have a strong chance of winning that they d- they don't take other projects um, that they would potentially be shooting within that awards window because they want to be available to to campaign and to give themselves that shot of sort of changing their life. And I think that for me is a little bit of the the magic of why I love it is I love I love and have seen over the years what it does for these creators and talent in terms of how how it changes their life and the impact that it has on the next movie they get to make um, and what their paycheck might be for that movie. I like to think of that as almost the same way. I just, I have to keep bringing it back to what I do. Obviously that's my experience, that's what I know, but trying to get yourself into any large magazine, like it's probably the pinnacle of interior design success to be published in something big like House and Home, Style at Home, or you know, be featured on a television show, something like that. Those are like kind Mm -hmm. of the big, you know, maybe architectural digest is kind of the be all end all of where you want to be featured. All of the, the legwork that goes into that, again, like you said, it's like, it's time, it's commitment, it's money, it's advertising money, like all of those things cost money. They are, they're not something you can just you just kind of wake up one day and someone calls you and says, do you want to be featured in Architectural Digest? Like you have to put in so much legwork to get yourself to that point. And a ton of your own expenses and money and everything like that, no one's paying you to be in those places. You're paying them for the most part. And the the final kind of goal is that you get this feature and then you're going to earn more business because of that feature. So it sounds similar in that sense that the accolades you receive are really just to bring in more, to give you more of a name so that the next time a great movie rolls around, they're going to use your studio to produce that movie. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, or for, you know, an actor looking for work that, that, you know, the well-known and um, prestigious directors that everyone wants to work with are more aware of you and what you can do and the skill set that you have. So they keep you in mind for their next project. So it's all sort of an investment and a cycle to continue to further 
and foster like new talent and new films and new creative voices. And I think that more recently in the last couple of years, there's been a lot of, you know, wins that are sort of more non-traditional, like the last two years with CODA and then with Everything Everywhere all at once, you know, the Academy members and the voting body has really changed to embrace, even with Bong Joon-ho's Parasite, like they've changed to embrace international films, um, films without a lot of, you know, filmmakers that are sort of world renowned at the time. And, and this experience of sort of quote unquote campaigning has then made them directors that everyone wants to work with or directors that, you know, become household names or people know or actors and faces that people become more familiar with. So it's all sort of an investment back into the industry and the, the cycle of the, the projects and the work and the growth and the inclusion um, and all of that. Okay. I like that. And let's, Let's talk a little bit about the films themselves in terms of you had said when you were sick and you were going to the cinema, you know, three times a week that you were realizing the impact that those films can have on you. So that's I, I mean, I love film. I watch pretty much everything that comes out. I am always kind of seeking new things to watch and invest my time into. And I do it for the same reason. I love the emotional impact of it. I love the escapism of it. What is the most important thing about film in your opinion? What is the most pivotal or what's the right word for it? Like the biggest thing you've learned from film or felt from film, you know, that has affected your life. I think like the emotional connection the audience has with a movie. And I think that a film and I've worked on many that are beautifully done with world renowned filmmakers and, um, and very well-known actors and a director that's sort of at the top of their game, it can be executed to the top of its class in terms of, in terms of how it's made. But if there isn't the emotional connection to an audience, even the most beautifully crafted and stunning films to watch don't go all the way. So I, I really think that it's, emotion. And I, you know, a lot of people in the, in the industry that I'm friends with will laugh at the wide variety of films that I love. Um, but I love a good, I love a good rom-com. I love escaping into that world. I love an indie movie, a documentary. Um, you know, I've seen some incredible shorts since I've started to really campaign for short films as well. So, you know, I have this wide variety. I love action movies. And, and major franchises that I've always supported, um, for, you know, from the beginning of, of those franchises and sort of gone on in that emotional journey with those characters. But I think at the end of the day, it really comes down to the audience connection to the film and the impact. And I do think that that can sometimes be really dramatically affected by the climate of what we're going through in the world. So I, I really think that you know, different wars happening, different political moments, Oscars so white, which happened years ago, I really think then changed the way people voted for the following year. So I, I think that it's the emotional connection that they have to the film. And then there's a lot of either luck or strategy in terms of when it's released to sort of further help help amplify that or connect to the meaning of the film. And and every year in sort of the phase two of our campaigns, once a film is nominated, we always ask ourselves the question, like, why should this win Best Picture? And what is that message that we want to put out there in our marketing materials and in the interviews and, 
Q and A's that our talent are doing and, and what's that tagline of, of why should somebody vote for this movie? Why is this important? Um, which again is very similar to a political campaign, but I think that, um, you know, the emotionality of a film and then connecting it to the impact of the moment or the time or, um, resonating with, why is it resonating with people and sort of sharing that in a bigger way is, is what can help make a film be really, really successful. Yeah, I would have to agree. And the impact it has on you can be so different depending where you're at and like not only on a global scale, but personally. Yeah, exactly. You can find something that lifts you up or, you know, you might be just in the mood to kind of go into a fantasy world or you want to see something super real or you want to connect with a certain emotion. So I think film so much more important to so many people than we actually realize beyond just entertainment value in our day-to-day lives. Yeah. Um, It affects affects a lot of the work we do with just like, you know, let's say that there's um, an assault scene in a movie and one of the critics that, that we've worked with, we know how to pass did that. Like that movie might not be for them. And it's understanding the audience you're showing it to and, and how you're positioning your film to get the best sort of reviews out there. And a lot of the times, you know, there's miscarriages or abortions and people that have had those personal experiences, those films land with them a little bit differently. Um, and it's sort of being sensitive to the people you're showing the film to most, mostly sort of those critics that we would have those relationships with and, and understanding, you know, who would connect best to that film and, and who might ha- struggle with it based on their personal experience. So beyond just the audiences that buy tickets to go to the theaters or that that watch these films on Netflix, a lot of the early conversation and strategy is really around the people we show it to and making sure that we're showing it to the the critics and the journalists that that will really, you know, we feel will connect with those stories in the most significant way to help position that film for the biggest chance of success. Let's quickly jump back to your uh, little bit of manifesting you did when you decided you wanted to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, did you take any specific steps for that? Or were you just, you just were like, nope, I'm going to throw it out there. I'm going to tell people this is what I'm doing. And it like, was it more, I'm going to hold myself to this thing that I'm telling people is going to happen? Or is it, was it more of that type of goal? Or was it like, was it yeah. more of a, yeah, I got to explain that to me a little bit. Take me through that. Yeah, I think, um, I think going, it kind of goes back to, to fear and the, the manifestation of it and the, the lack of fear and the, um, the courage that I had to just put it out there and just trying. I, I think, you know, we can try and, and thankfully, you know, my story sort of worked out as of now, but you know, even if I failed, I don't think I would have ever regretted trying. And I think most people in life and especially older friends of mine that, that sort of allow fear to hold them back from trying or taking a chance on a dream or a goal or whatever they might be sort of thinking of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think anyone, anyone chasing a dream, but starting a business or whatever it might be, you know, that is, important. And that's, I think what everyone goes through when they are putting themselves out there for the first time in a creative endeavor or a business endeavor, or just even if you're, you know, working for someone else and you want to get to that next level, you have to put yourself out there and you have to 
kind of face that fear of failing in order to Mm -hmm. be able to achieve that next level of success that you've set for yourself. Yeah. And I think like there's so many amazing ways to sort of find your inspiration um, or to, to break down that fear. And like, for me, I love like listening to, to podcasts about stuff like this or music or inspirational quotes or reading books about leadership or, or life. And, you know, all of that kind of stuff can help fuel you. And I think all the time when, you know, I know I said that the hardest question I think in life is like, what do you want to do with your life? Cause it's such a big question that has so much time associated with it. And I think that the beautiful thing of life is that when you can change what you want to do in life as you change as a human being, as you learn, as you grow. Um, so it's not necessarily a fair question, but I think if you just start with like, what brings me joy, what makes me happy, where do I feel the most connected to myself in terms of environment and space and everything? And what kind of people do I want to work with? Or what kind of hours do I want to have in my job? What am I looking for? And just sort of working through that and, and honestly, just working through what brings you joy, even though you may not understand why you love, you know, to make muffins and you pass them out at school fairs or whatever it might be. But maybe a baker is like, what's the right thing for you? Or, you know, I, I have a lot of friends that are doing really cool creative things with like making different labels for different brands or um, for bachelorettes and selling things on Etsy. Like I just think there's so many avenues now to explore creativity that can help guide you to what you want to do. And I think if you just follow passion in so many instances, there's success around the corner because you're passionate enough to not let something go and you're passionate enough to put in the time and the effort that's needed to get to where you want to go. Mm-hmm. I remember the first few years I was in business, I would work on it night and day and weekends. And it would be like, why are you working? And it's like, it doesn't feel like work. Cause I love it. And I want it to succeed. And I have this dream of seeing it become something. And I'm, I have to put this in, I have to build it. I have to watch it grow. Like it was mm-hmm. very much an organic growth process, but it was very much fueled by passion. And you're so right. I don't think there's any success to be had in in the sense that we're talking about where you don't have that passion, because if you don't have that passion, it's just, it's, it's so difficult to continue to push and to fight and to make the things that need to be made and to do the hard things that need to be done. Finding your joy, finding what makes you passionate and and following that um, is one of the best ways to sort of finding, finding success. And I think like leaning into what you love is just the one of the best things that you can do. And it's so rewarding when you can step back from the hard work and the experience to get yourself to a certain point. And the the sort of gratitude and power that you find within yourself when you accomplish those goals is really beautiful and not living in a space of fear. And and fear is really hard. Like fear can be debilitating in every aspect of life. And in relationships, in, you know, friendships, intimate relationships, in work environments, you know, fear is sort of all around us. And I think breaking down those walls within yourself to, to allow yourself the chance or give yourself the chance and believe in yourself enough to try to break down those walls and do what you're sort of dreaming of at night. You know, I, I think a lot of people like life is life is short and you have to 
you have to live it as best as best you can and and still try to enjoy the journey along the way. But, um, you know, I think living without fear is one of the most amazing, powerful things that you can do for yourself. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think you ever regret it. Like you never regret giving it a shot. Even if it doesn't work, you're never going to turn around and go, wow, I should never have, you know, moved to LA. Like at least you would never feel that way. You'd feel like if it hadn't worked out for you, you would have come home and been like, well, I tried. And that's, yeah. you know, I can't discount that. So totally. I think and that's there's so many learnings in just trying, lesson. you know, and I think exactly. a lot of people, there's a lot of people I was just at an event last night and I don't mean to name drop, but with Adam Sandler, <laughs> he was, um, he was fired from SNL after like seven years on SNL and being one of their top performing artists that was on the show, he was fired and then became one of the, one of the biggest box office movie stars of the last, you know, three decades. And so, you know, a lot of the time, being fired or, or not getting the job that you thought that you wanted, if you don't give up or you don't let fear sort of stand in your way from that next opportunity or that next job, I think you can find so much success. And the cool part of life is in, you know, the 34 years that I've lived it, I just find that you, you learn as you work through it, like what those crossroads were and what the path was and what it led you to. And, you know, putting together the pieces of your own life and understanding your, your journey and understanding why it makes you who you are is something that's really, really interesting to kind of work through as you continue to, to, to live and to learn, to grow. Mm -hmm. I love that because I think, yeah, I, I think that life truly is quite beautiful when you do look at it from, you know, from the backside of whatever it is that you're going through and whether, like you said, like if that's being fired, there's been times when I've had to let people go and, you know, you feel guilty about it. And then I remember a time I was let go and I'm like, but that put me on a trajectory that I'm on now and look where I am Mm -hmm. now. And I don't think I'd be here if I hadn't been challenged in that way and been kind of handed something that I didn't choose that someone chose for me. But you have to take those difficulties and challenges as they come and you have to be able to use those and change your perspective of what's happening in your life in order to make it a positive outcome. And yeah, there is a lot of really interesting and beautiful serendipity happening when you kind of take a minute to look back on different scenarios and people and places, just everything that you've encountered. There's a very beautiful pattern to it that you don't recognize until you're able to kind of turn around and view it in hindsight. Yeah, totally. But um, no, I, I completely, I completely agree. And I think that is like the, the uh, beauty of life is living it. But um, I think for me now, because I'm so fascinated by, by the journey and understanding it, it's like trying not to understand where I'm going and trying to live more in the moment, which can also be a challenging, a challenging thing. Yeah, it's Living hard to in kind the now of, is hard. Yeah, it's hard to delineate between all of the goals you have and all of the steps you want to take to get to those goals. And then also looking back and being proud of yourself and taking a moment to appreciate your success. And then also trying to live in the now. (laughs) There's a lot, there's a lot going on that we have to navigate. Work through. It's true. It's true. There is. Well, it's almost up at an hour. So I'm going to close this out, but it was so wonderful to have you here. And thank you so much for all of your amazing insights and 
I really think the takeaway here is just the passion piece, just having that passion, following that, embracing the challenges and the paths that those challenges put us on in life, I think is really the key important part here. Yeah, no, agree. And thank you for having me. I'm always, always happy to chat with you about about all these things. And hopefully for some of the those that are listening, and it's it's helpful. And I think that you never know when you when you hear something that that might inspire a a dream or connect a thread that then leads you down a a really important road for you. So I'm I'm honored to be to be a guest on the show. And how freaking cool is she? Please rate and review, share with your friends, and we will catch you next time.